Welcome to the latest episode of Streamed and Screened, a podcast from Lee Enterprises that is all about movies and TV shows that you should check out. We've got Bruce Miller on the call. Bruce Miller, a longtime entertainment journalist, currently the editor at the Sioux City Journal. Hello, Bruce. Hello, Chris. How are you today? That voice, that is a... Doesn't that sound a, good? That sounds pretty good, didn't it? That's smooth as sugar right there. At a time when the world was falling apart, we turned to the movies. Also out of Sioux City, we have reporter Jared McNett. Hello, Jared. Howdy, howdy, hi, hi. We almost didn't have Jared this week because he went into that murder house. In Villisca, Iowa. And yep. you know what? We can see them not coming out. It's just like all those things that Vera Farmiga stars in. The people that run that place now, they did put a creepy doll in the attic of the house. And uh, the guy that does tours said he was trying to make his own Annabelle doll, basically. If anybody wants to, to find out more about uh, Jared's trip to haunted houses, you can definitely check him out on, on Twitter. Yep. We'll put a link to that in the show notes, uh, as well as I'm sure we'll repost something, something on the uh, Streamed and Streamed podcast Twitter account. He took a picture and he looks creepy in the picture. Like he's maybe been stabbed or something. Wait, Jared does? Yeah, he does. Don't you think, huh. Jared? You're sitting on the floor and it's like, oh my God, somebody killed him. I think he's dead. Sitting on the floor in the attic uh, in front of the doll, actually. And there is no way that I would have gone there to rescue him. So he should know now that if he had that hope that I would rush out there and save him from those creepy dolls and everything else in that scary house, no. The answer is no. And me, the uh, the sort of ringleader, I guess, of, of this motley, motley crew, Chris Lay, I wish I was calling in from, from my mansion in Majorca, but instead I'm just uh, in Madison, Wisconsin, doing my, my duties as the podcast operations manager for Lee Enterprises. And uh, we have a, a very fun show today. We're going to talk about the unbearable weight of massive talent, and we're going to talk about The Northman. Both of those are in theaters. And The Survivor, the new uh, Ben Foster movie on Apple Plus. And we'll have an interview between Bruce and the folks behind Survivor, which is on HBO Max. Uh, you'll hear more about that very soon. Yeah, so we can we can totally jump right in feet first, not unlike a couple of guys off of a cliff in Spain into the unbearable weight of massive talent. Let's give it to Jared because he likes Nicolas Cage. I went through a full uh, like range of stuff in the lead up to this movie because when I first like heard about it, um, I got really excited at the prospect of Nicolas Cage uh, being in something like this. Um, it's kind of a very meta like journey through his career, I guess. And then a little bit closer to before this came out. So in the past couple of weeks, I was starting to get a little nervous that, you know, it was maybe going to lean a little too much on like the Nick Cage is like a meme kind of thing. So I did have a little bit of that. And we even talked about that last week on the show. So I did have like a little bit of that apprehensiveness um, going into seeing it. But once I actually saw it, I was totally uh, delighted by it. It was just like a really strong, um, like, buddy comedy that really felt like a throwback to like the kinds of comedies that don't really get released in theaters anymore and just end up on, you know, streaming platforms and stuff like, like that. Uh, Nicholas Cage uh, was great in it. I'm always happy when he gets to do 
you know, put his comedic chops to uh, good use. And he definitely gets plenty of opportunities to do that in this. And I think the real MVP in the movie that was Pedro Pascal, who was just such a joy uh, to watch throughout uh, that entire movie. It's just this massive super fan of uh, Nicolas Cage. And that that's where some of my favorite stuff in the movie was. You know, I, when I first saw Pedro, I thought, who does he look like? He looks like somebody. And I realized it was Burt Reynolds. He could do the Burt Reynolds story in a heartbeat because he looks like Burt. And you think you could do Smokey and the Bandit immediately. Let's have you do that. But um, you're right. It's the relationship between the two that make this work. The thing that I find was interesting is that they didn't want to offend Nicolas Cage. So they didn't really bring up some of those dreadful films he did for money. I mean, they, they referenced the concept, but they don't say, and then, whoa, this is, you were really bad in that because Pedro plays a, a fanboy. He is just enamored with everything that he does. So it's not going to be bad stuff that they mentioned. And I think, I think Nicholas Cage could have taken it. I think if he, you know, if they had said, Oh God, you really sucked in this one. Um, he would have been fine with it, but there is that kind of level of we're honoring you instead of kind of lampooning you. Does that make sense? I think it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I'm yeah. fine with that. I would have liked the ending to be different and I don't want to go into what it is, but I thought the ending was too predictable. And I think they could have pivoted in a way that it wouldn't have been. And I think that would have been kind of fun, but I enjoyed myself all during the, the course of it. It was fun seeing them race around. And I love that they said, well, you're supposed to be really good at driving stunt cars. Didn't you drive stunt cars at one time? Gone in 60 seconds. I don't know that I would ride with him at all. Ever. <laughs> and then they were taking drugs and they're driving and you think those, those cliffs are going to fall off in any minute. It's yeah. I mean, I would totally, you know, ride with him if it was in uh, the car in the film where he definitely beats the the hell out of it. And then by the time they roll back, you don't see the, any dance. The lot, there's like no damage to this, you know, classic. No to car. Yeah. But, and I, you know, I don't like the idea where they bring a kid in. There's always some kid that you have to worry about. I don't want to worry about a kid, you know, that they might be kidnapped or they might be suddenly used as something against you. That's a real hoary plot device that movies like to, to reach uh, for. And I didn't think it needed it. Yeah. I think, I mean, you mentioned the, the movies that he's done that are uh, not, not exactly critically beloved, let's say the VOD, uh, you know, straight to, to disc sorts of things that he was doing for a while, which even though is the vast majority of them, he still fully committed to. And even within those, uh, Chris, because I've, I've watched quite a few of them now because I still go to Redbox pretty fr uh, frequently and <laughs> Redbox they has a they live in Redbox. <laughs> they do. And so I've watched uh, quite a few of those even. And even within those, as you were kind of saying, there's like gradations of them. There are some that are actually like a lot of fun to watch. And there are some that are like an absolute slog. And that depends less on like Nicolas Cage and just like everything else around him usually in those movies. So of the three of us, I think I liked it the least. And mm. it's not, it's not that it's a bad movie. I, I totally agree with Bruce where I feel like it, the, the finale, you know, sequence was a little too on the nose maybe. And maybe it's just, I mean, for me, I feel like there are a lot of gradations, you know, there's a lot of different colors and shades that 
Nicolas Cage has been able to, to ring out of his career. And this just didn't really pay the right kind of service to, I think, the the Nicolas Cage stuff that I really like. I mean, it didn't, in the, the big room that Pedro Pascal's character has with all of the, the trophies and the, the items and the knickknacks and whatever, uh, you know, you see, you know, the, the thing of Pampers from Raising Arizona, but that's like all that's really mentioned from that film. There's nothing, you know, mentioned about adaptation, um, you know, leaving Las Vegas is, you know, pretty much out of the mix as well. And it, it seems like it, the movie was very much about the, the popcorn movies that Nicolas Cage was in the, you know, the John Woo movies, the Con Airs, the, which are all great, but that is a very specific kind of Nicolas Cage. It just seemed like a, it wasn't, I mean, I guess no one's going to go in there expecting to get a nuanced <laughs> portrayal of Nicolas Cage as an actor in this film, but it just didn't quite hit on all those notes. But uh, I mean, the other side of that argument is, well, he's got like a hundred different kinds of roles that he plays. He's, you know, you can't, you can't do all, all of that. So I don't know. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I think the, the thing that's going to really test it for me is I'm actually going back to see it tomorrow because uh, a couple of friends of mine are in from out of town. And so we'll actually get to do like the, the hangout version of, of this movie and that seems like a, uh, you know, if it can make it through that, then it'll totally be uh, be worth it. But yeah. There should have been more fanboying that would help you through that if you didn't see some of those films. Um, Pedro could have, have said, now say this line. I want to hear this line. Say this line for me from whatever. And then you could get that line. And that kind of recalls things for you. I think there were... I think they were hedging their bets in case they couldn't get Nicolas Cage and they would be able to just kind of slip in somebody else and make a reference. And I tried to think, who would that be? Who would be somebody that would fall into this? I thought of Johnny Depp. I thought Johnny Depp could be one that he would bring a little attitude. So you'd think there was a different Johnny Depp. And we've seen that where they've been kind of playing versions of themselves. Um, and I also thought Charlie Sheen would have been one because Charlie Sheen had this really celebrated past where he was in all these really good movies. And then he started doing kind of whatever I can find for money, TV kind of things. That one where he was shooting the, the series, I think they did like three episodes a week or whatever it was. Come on, Charlie Sheen would be perfect for the, something like this. And you could really make fun of him if you wanted to. But I think they were respectful. And I think that's where um, maybe they could have been a little more liberal with their with their things he would have been fine with it i'm sure he would have been fine with it but you know it's like oh you're the greatest star ever i just love you you just you had all those great films and i just love all those films and you know hey what about that turkey why did you take that turkey i want to know tell me because if you have this guy hostage in your house you're not going to just hang out with him you're going to ask every question you possibly can if you're that much of a fan the only real approach that that the movie takes to that is the the weird not obsession but but the the role that guarding Tess <laughs> plays in the film <laughs> that was surprising to me yeah but but yeah there's no mention of any of the straight to to video stuff or even going back you know the uh, you know trapped in paradise the you know weird not quite blockbuster obviously but 
you know, late eighties, early nineties kind of oddball things that he did. Um, I think, yeah, my, my problem is it just feels like with the, the concept, you know, the, the conceptual angle of the movie, it just feels like they left money on the table, but you know, you're not every movie like this is going to be being John Malkovich, which by the way, Charlie Sheen, great little cameo in that one. So that's my two cents. I don't know, uh, Jared, if you want to ungrumpify my, my take with a, it's with a no button big. on this. <laughs> no, let's say, uh, no, I'm, I'm good with, uh, I'm good with leaving it there. Yeah. Well, let's enjoy it. It was, it was just, yeah, not quite. Come on, uh, you guys didn't get to see it Northman. Let's hear what you thought. Well, uh, Chris, did you also watch uh, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent and The Northman as a double feature? Because I, I did, did that on Friday. Yep. And I went un- Unbearable Weight into Northman. That's what I, was, that's what I did as well. <laughs> it wasn't really jarring. It was, uh, but those are definitely horses of different colors, shall we say. <laughs> I don't even know if those are both horses. <laughs> One's just covered in a lot more mud. That's the... Like, <laughs> And maybe disemboweled also. Yes. Yeah. Before we get too far into this, dear listener, if, uh, if you have any interest in The Northman, go back to last week. Bruce interviewed the director, Robert Eggers, and uh, it's absolutely fantastic. And having seen the movie now, it holds up even, even more as a, a really great interview. So please go back. We'll have links to that in the, the show notes. But yeah, Jared, what do you think, man? I already like wrote about this a little bit in my review that I posted on my uh, letterbox, but I, I remember seeing like one or two people saying that they thought the movie or they felt that the movie left them kind of cold. And after I saw the movie, I really don't understand that at all because even though it's like in, you know, Scandinavia and it's a revenge movie, it is a very alive and very like big fiery kind of movie, like with like very fiery emotion in it. Um, not just the revenge stuff, but like, the, uh, the romance stuff that develops was actually pretty compelling too, I thought. And so I, I was just a little uh, confused by that. Um, as for the movie itself, I absolutely loved it. I am always down to go and see a movie that shows me stuff that I haven't seen before. And by God, there's more than a few things in that movie that I have not seen in any other movies, including uh, Ethan Hawke, uh, Willem Dafoe, and um, I don't even know who the kid was. I'm blanking on his name. Uh, I didn't think I would expect to see a scene in the movie where they're crawling around on all fours and uh, like howling like wolves and uh, farting and whatever else. But uh, that happens in the movie. Um, we get uh, multiple shots of like a, a family tree with like Ethan Hawke's dead body uh, dangling off of it. Didn't think we'd uh, be seeing that, but we did. Um, Bjork. You got Bjork. Yes. Yes. Got that in there. Um, I, yeah, there, there was so much in there that, uh, it showed me that I was impressed by. And again, stuff I wouldn't have seen, uh, elsewhere. And then like the plot itself and everything I was all the way in on. And I was actually kind of surprised how long they were able to stretch out the revenge stuff in the movie. Um, because Alexander Skarsgård kind of gets to where he needs to be sooner than I thought he would. And then he really just like slowly unleashes hell. It's a, it's a slow burn in some respects, once that uh, revenge actually starts unfolding. There's, you know, a moment where you're like, is this where the movie ends? Like, we've still got a little bit of time here. (laughs) What's going on? And then, uh, yeah, the movie, uh, I mean, it it finds a a whole new gear that I did not see coming, uh, which is kind of alluded to and referenced vaguely in in the interview that Bruce did, and then also some of the other interviews that I've, I've heard with Eggers. And then it becomes this 
really unique film uh but yeah i was i was floored by it i i really enjoyed it let me ask you a question because i did not see this until uh, news started coming out about it cgi genitals i did i miss this at some point during the I fight was, in the yeah, no, but which you mentioned in in the interview the yeah, fight in the volcano could you tell it was cgi I couldn't tell that it was CGI, but a little ways into that fight, I definitely realized, oh, these guys are butt naked. And yeah, well, if they were really butt naked, there would be more, uh, I don't know, flaccidity. Is that, a, is that an appropriate word? Like, I don't <laughs> more concerned about the knives that were out, right? Yeah. You know, is this a new thing? Do we need CGI genitals? Is this it? Is this what the next phase is? Everybody wants them to be drawn in or something. I couldn't tell you. I mean, it's a. Uh, but I didn't realize it was a thing until I, when they started saying, and then there was, who knew? I just kind of accepted that the guys, because it's so dark, they just took their clothes off and went at it with swords. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't any, I didn't see anything, you know, flip-flopping around or anything out there. So it seemed like, like if anything, the genitals were, were more removed given, you know, the circumstances. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, that's odd that that would come out as a thing you know i mean it, it's it's something that i made a mental note of in, in the moment didn't take me out of the scene or anything didn't uh didn't you know strike me as any intense uh you know aesthetic decision one way or the other but i certainly uh, acknowledged it <laughs> so that's that'll be the future is it were were your genitals cgi or were they the real thing this is Being, what we'll be hearing about movies now from now on i, I don't know about the future was, but <laughs> this isn't like <laughs> some tomorrow land you know kind of i would of. definitely request it you know if i were in a, a movie like this say we're going to do a, a nude scene okay and um yes and i demand that i have cgi please please I, uh, I will say I didn't expect the, that in the movie we would get a detour into a very old-timey sport, and I also did not expect for that uh, detour into an old-timey sport to include uh, someone basically headbutting someone else to death. Um, so that was that was a nice little uh, stopover for a few minutes. Well, now you know where that started. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the bloodiest game of hockey or whatever the hell that was supposed to be possible. Hey, yeah. Shirts and skins. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there was, uh, I don't know, the, the gore elements of it, I think, were a little overblown. It's not that it was incredibly gory or unrealistically gory or anything, but it seems like people are talking very much about how gory it is. And there's only a couple of moments where I'm like, that's over the top, but in a, in a way that was fitting. Um, so it's, it's much like how I kind of think about like the Coen brothers will handle violence in their movies where like there's not necessarily violence all the way through, but when there is, it is pretty heavy and pretty intense. I think is a the way to think about it. Um one one other thing I was gonna point out is um, you know, Bruce talked about how good um Clay's Bang was in it as the uh the traitorous uh, uncle, and he absolutely was. I really loved the uh, eventual gear that uh, Nicole Kidman got into with like where her character kind of ends up uh, toward the tail end of the movie. 
good gear for her that she doesn't get to go into in a lot of her stuff now. So I was happy to see that as well. It's a great surprise. And um, she needs more of those surprises. You know, she works a lot, but I don't know that she's always working in the way that she would like to kind of grow. They see that she can play these cold kind of cool women who maybe are, you know, being abused by her husband, Alexander Skarsgård, um, in uh, in the HBO miniseries. Big Little Lies. Yes. And, yeah. But she can really bring it if you really want her. And I would love to see her kind of open up and be that, that kind of mean woman that you're looking for. Yeah. Go back to the, you know, to, to die for version of Nicole Kidman. Let's, let's get some, love, some really weird, weird Nicole Kidman roles. You know what? I think if, had she had that film and not married Tom Cruise and gone off on that whole kind of tangent with him on those films, she would be a different actress today because she was incredible in that film. Incredible. Let's hear you both were excited about it. You would say, oh yeah. Good. Well, I, yep. when I was watching it, I thought about both of you and I thought this is one they'll like. I think this is the, this will be working for them. <clears throat> no, I thought it was, it was fantastic. Um, I don't know what workout regimen uh, Skarsgård was on to, to make that whole thing. Oh, happen, it was incredible. But... It was incredible. He said he barely ate and what he was eating, you wouldn't eat. And like, no, I wouldn't do it. But hey, it was a lot of those scenes were in the dark. There was a lot of good lighting. The makeup could add to the whole thing. So we might look just as good. And I was reading a article earlier today. And I mean, they only shot this movie for like 87 days, like less than three months. They filmed it. It was all filmed on, you know, 35 millimeter film, like no digital film. Like, I mean, for the intense shots that they're getting, the, you know, really choreographed one shots that they get. And I'm technically... It's insane. I, I can't imagine the, you know, getting the the dolly shots, you know, through that that big battle sequence early on, you know, and, and how many times they had to do it and reset and reset and reset. But I guess, you know, maybe thankfully it's just overcast all the time. So <laughs> walking up those the hills, you walk up those hills and you think I'm going to fall back at some point. You know, somebody's got to die on his sword. It might be me. But um, yeah, it's incredible what they were able to accomplish. And it's not CGI. Screening of the Northman that I went to was actually pretty well uh, full. And uh, one of the guys that was coming out was a very bro-y stoner kind of guy, had like a stocking cap on. And uh, his review to his friend as they were leaving the theater was for him to just say, that movie was badass. So... (laughs) I think I texted my pals and I said, uh, yeah, the Northman whips ass. That's what I said. There you go. It does indeed. Anya Taylor-Joy is going places. You know, she seems like one of those actresses that is very specific and you think she can only do certain things. They won't cast her and things. And man, she's had a great little career going here where you go, yeah, I buy that. I buy that character. And I loved her in, was it last night in Soho? Mm Mm-hmm loved her in that um but that you know so she's surprising us all the time and i like the idea that that'll happen more she'll get good work yep i think uh i mean queen's gambit obviously is what really put her over the top but 
uh, even before that, obviously the witch put her on the map and then uh, even something that was relatively unseen like Thoroughbreds is another just tremendous great movie yeah Yeah. underseen that's one that i like that year i think like that and was like a simple favor there were just these kind of very pulpy um you know movies that that came out around that same time that i would love to see get rediscovered so any which way but so yeah i don't know what else we could possibly say about the northman other than go and see it uh what is coming out in theaters this weekend not a whole lot that's like on that level uh the biggest one that is most broadly appealing is probably memory the the new liam neeson movie about an assassin for hire uh, kind of stumbles down his own conspiracy but also he's going through some kind of mental illness or dementia or memory loss type thing. So having a, a trained killer losing their, their grip on reality is. <laughs> is he saving a kid at some point? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> he, you know, they could, if they ever had a problem where they didn't get the scene shot, they could borrow him from another movie because he's kind of doing the same thing in most of this stuff. And you could do a whole film where he just looks mean, hiding behind a rock or hiding behind a door or hiding behind a corner. That's Liam Neeson. Well, we were talking about the, uh, when we were talking earlier about the, you know, direct-to-video stuff that Nick Cage has done, it seems like, you know, he, he alternates. He does the one for them, one for me type thing where, you know, he'll do the, the weird color out of space. He'll do Mandy. He'll do, you know, in between these weird not great red box type titles, but Liam Neeson just doesn't really do that. <laughs> like he's just doing the same, uh, you know, gruff guy with a gun in slightly different roles every single time. And, and he already, Chris, he already did one of these movies earlier this year. And I bet you can't remember the name of it right now. No. <laughs> no blacklight oh yeah that's right yep i remember see that's yeah. how many of these he does yeah he does uh, it's like a tv series he's doing episodes every week and it's the same thing but you know he's good he's a good actor oh he absolutely just, he just takes the route of the easy paycheck yeah and this is i'm not i'm not at all knocking him as an actor it's it's just kind of frustrating because he seems very wasted in these things and i'm sure that there's more to it than that i know you know going back however many you know, 10 15 years when it was like his wife and his wife died i mean he, he's had some pretty traumatic life experiences that it seems like around the time that he started taking these roles and i don't know how much of that is is played into that i don't, I don't want to overthink any of that but it seems like he's definitely let that uh put a hand on on the wheel of his career but i mean yeah checks are clearing so he's doing fine and he's you know he's still got the the star wars money coming in <laughs> you could do an unbearable weight of massive talent with him you know as the as the character chris you know you're talking about how he really doesn't do the the one for them one for me kind of thing it, it, and what makes it even more frustrating is like two of the ones that he has done when he rarely does them anymore that were more of a one for me kind of thing, silence and then widows. He's 
fantastic in uh, both of those in uh, kind of a more limited role, but he's, he's great in those. So he absolutely can still do that kind of stuff if he wants to. Those are two perfect examples of that, but it really is the, instead of like one for me, one for them, it's, you know, one for me. And then, you know, a baker's dozen for them. <laughs> for the bank. Yeah. We're banking this one. He did do one film though with his son. And that was kind of interesting. Rom-com that was a little more, it took a little different tone for him, but memory, maybe it'll be a little bit more interesting than those other ones. Uh, it's directed by Martin Campbell, who did Casino Royale, GoldenEye, Mask of Zorro. And The Foreigner, which is actually a, a really good action movie, I think. Yep, The Foreigner and uh, last year's The Protégé, which I don't think that we were too kind on, but it's very much that, uh, I mean, Martin Campbell knows how to make a, a mid-level action movie. Yep. You know, Greenlander notwithstanding. <laughs> but, and that's like the biggest one. And then there's... The other two movies that I think are worth talking about, I don't think these will be screening everywhere, but uh, Vortex, the new Gaspar Noe movie, Gaspar Noe, everyone, maybe not everyone, but uh, Irreversible is one of the most notorious films ever made from two decades ago, starring Monica Bellucci, uh, who's, who's also got a role in memory, I'm not trying to, wow, there really are some interesting like parallels because Vortex is about uh, an elderly couple uh, who is going through dementia so i'm assuming that he's gonna be applying a lot of his aesthetic abilities to conveying what that experience is like and dario argento was one of the actors interestingly enough i'll be interested to to check that one out because i didn't i still haven't actually gotten around to uh catching his uh movie from i guess it was just I don't know, it was three years ago now uh no i saw climax climax was very good i enjoyed Climax uh, quite a bit. If anyone wants a just completely wild, like uh, party fueled uh, kind of movie that turns horribly wrong, Climax is is great for that. Um, so I, I will definitely be interested to check this one out whenever I get the chance to. Yeah, his stuff is always very maximalist. I think that is the that's a yeah, it's a decent adjective for that. And this seems like it is going in the it's going really hard in the other direction of very very minimalist so i'm intrigued to see where he goes with that his movies have been interesting to me uh, but not none of them that i would be uh you know i've been really floored by i guess but anyway so uh the other one that is coming out uh hatching have either of you guys seen the trailer for this at all? Have you heard anything about it? Whew. Um, directed by Hannah Bergholm. Uh, it's got, it's about a 12-year-old and her mom who find a, uh, a bird. They uh, end up raising this egg that they find and the egg ends up hatching after it grows to an enormous size and uh, it looks absolutely insane i think yeah i just looked up the poster and it is it is truly horrifying yeah so going from that we can kind of take a leap into something a little bit more a little more chill let's talk about uh netflix has got the series finale season i think of grace and frankie is dropping on the 29th with dolly parton yeah also ozark the series finale of of ozark uh, drops on now, the because we haven't all seen the Ozark. Do you predict how it might end? 
I don't even know if I watched either of the most recent two seasons of it. And I feel like that's on me. So I don't know. I just Did haven't. you watch Ozark? Are you a fan? Jared? I have seen one episode of oh. uh, Ozark. So yeah, it is a uh, it is a mystery to me for the most part. And yeah, it, I I like a lot about it, but I just cannot get over how dark it is and how the weather is just so oppressive there. And it that's not at all <laughs> what I would assume that, know, that area right? to be. No, no, I think of like duck boats and things like that where it's more upbeat and fun. And this is like where is this bad riverboat that they've got that they're gaming on? It's like, oh, and I would not stay in their hotel or their motel. It looks just dreadful. So all this stuff is like alien to me, but I'm still fascinated by it. And how they get all kind of cooked up with the drug cartel is bizarre. But my, and I have not seen the last episode, so this is purely out of the blue. I'm throwing this out there. Is I think it's going to be like The Godfather where the next generation is taking over at the end. I just think that those kids have been corrupted so much by their parents being these kind of bad stewards of their lives that they have been absorbing all of this and they too will be like that in a very dark way. My knee jerk is that it's just gonna be very similar to you know, Breaking Bad because that seems like the, the show that it is most closely related to i think tonally and plot wise of you know a character by definition breaking bad i guess um that whole family just kind of slowly sliding down this very slippery slope into villainy villainy i think uh i think it's going to end with uh, jason bateman surrounded by uh, family and friends maybe some of the foes as well and just you know looking at the camera and saying damn those are sure are crazy and it's gonna <laughs> cut to black Where are the duck boats let's yeah. go on the duck boats right yes i did get to see a new series that's starting this week it's called i love that for you and it stars vanessa bayer molly shannon and the incredible incredible jennifer lewis and they work at this home shopping network not unlike qvc and Vanessa Bayer is just like, she's dreamed her whole life. She wants to work at this place. And uh, so she gets an audition. She had been a Costco um, food demonstrator. You know how they hand out samples. And she just, I, she saw more in her life and she wanted to take the next step and go to this station where they're selling just every crap you can find. And she gets there and she realizes that they all fit niches. They all have, I am the married mother who can do it all. I am the guy who loves Christ, and I also am a baker. I am the, you know, the successful businesswoman who can have everything. So they all fit niches, but she doesn't see what her niche is. Well, and Jennifer Lewis owns this place, um, and she comes out, and she is just a riot. She's so good. She levels everybody with lines that you will be repeating for weeks afterwards, and um, she even sold the crap that we didn't couldn't get rid of. So she has a, a really good way of kind of looking at that world. It doesn't lampoon it. It just kind of um, reveals it. And it is very fun. 
Molly Shannon uh, was a role model for Vanessa Bayer. And she said she always looked up to her, wanted to be like her. And now the idea that they get to work together, unbelievable. So it's very, 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 very funny. And I, I think in, in when we see so many of these dark films, you might look for something like that. But I binged as much as I could right away. Uh, that'll be coming on Showtime. And then I got a chance to see second season of Hacks. And oh boy. You saw all of it or just like the first handful of episodes? I've seen six episodes of it. And I thought, you know, that they kind of got to a point there where they don't know where they're going to go with this. Oh no, it is so sad. And I, I can't talk until we get to May because that's when they're going to start unfolding. But just know that second season of Hacks, I think it almost is even better than the first season because it introduces Deborah Vance, that's the character played by Jean Smart, to all these things that she'd been kind of ignoring for years because she's going out on the road and she's going to try her comedy out where the people really like her, not just in Vegas anymore. And she gets a tour bus and episode three, I kid you not, if it doesn't win Emmys, it isn't because they didn't try. They have uh, Lori Metcalf in there who is incredible. And Lori Metcalf better get the Emmy for that episode three. Hmm. Best guest actress. She's that good. You mentioned uh, The Godfather earlier. We were talking the about- The offer is coming soon. Ozark. I was going to say, yeah, April 28th on Paramount Plus. And you have, uh, you've big up to that a lot. And yes, yeah, so that, that is the biopic series, I suppose, where the biographical subject is the- godfather film yeah and how difficult it was to make it they did not want that film made and the mafia moved in and tried to stop it and then they kind of negotiated if you will and coppola was uh, a tough cookie i think from from a production standpoint uh, very insistent on everything but he had to be his visions but you know he wasn't really dealing from a, a point of strength yeah he wasn't who he became he didn't have the the leverage because I think he had, uh, what was he coming off of then? That was- Well, he had done the conversation. That was it. one of his films that came the same year, but he had done just those kind of smaller things that gave him a name, but he wasn't who he was until The Godfather. Yeah. The guy who plays Al Pacino, and I wish I could tell you who it was, looks like Al Pacino, sounds like Al Pacino. So that's kind of fun to, to play with. Normally I try to structure these you know, planning wise to where we will record on Monday or whatever. And then I'll cap the shows that we're going to talk about for, for Sunday, because we're going to be, you know, talking about, but the, there's a, a show that just started as of last night, April 25th uh, on HBO max. We own this city, which is the new Baltimore cop show produced by uh, Pelicanos and George Pelicanos and, uh, David Simon, which seems like it is the, the natural heir to the wires throne. And I don't know if either of you guys have gotten a chance to see the first episode yet since it came out, but it, it looks fantastic. Tells the, uh, looks like it kind of jumps around timeline wise between pre Trump and sort of late two thousands telling the, the kind of downfall of, of one police unit, uh, based on a true story uh, in Baltimore, so. Oh, it's got, I, I, I hadn't kept good tabs on this and seeing Burnthal. that the, yeah, that Bernthal is in it, I'm, I'm all the way in. Uh, I don't even need to know the rest of the cast, although I'm sure it's going to be good because all of David Simon's stuff is very well cast. 
Yeah. So. It's, it's really great. I mean, go, I would suggest everybody go in anyone who's a fan of the wire, go in pretty blind just because you never know which of the, the wire, uh, you know, stock actors, the, the, the wires troop, uh, are going to show up in sometimes very different roles <laughs> from what they were, um, originally, but yeah, it's a, looks fantastic, feels fantastic. I'm very excited to, to be following along with that show. Um, Bruce, anything else you got? Well, another one that has a newspaper base that is very fascinating. It starts on the 29th is Shining Girls with uh, Elizabeth Moss. And that's a very, it's a thriller. So it's not necessarily where they're just uncovering a crime or, you know, digging into the archives to find a story. There's more here. And I don't want to tell too much more because I might ruin it. And that's on Apple Plus. Yeah, and she's great. Elizabeth Moss doesn't get the work that she deserves either. There's another one who could be guided in another direction. So that kind of wraps up the new stuff coming out. Also, uh, we've got... Are we going to talk about The Survivor? Yes, that's... Bruce, why don't you tell us about, about Survivor before we, we throw to this, this interview that you got? Yeah, well, the, it's based in truth. Um, it's about a a Jewish man who was kept in Auschwitz. And in order to survive, he had to box his way to stay alive. So the for the benefit of the guards who were there, they would have boxing matches and he he would do whatever he had to to stay alive. And then the story, and you see that from the beginning, you get to see what that, that kind of black and white era was like. And uh, then he deals with life in the aftermath of that, because he realizes that because he survived, somebody else died. And he has a, a lot of guilt and how he deals with that guilt over the course of years. Now, Barry Levinson has shot this in a number of ways. So you're gonna see different techniques, different colors, different kinds of filming techniques. It's very fascinating, but he said he couldn't imagine that Auschwitz would be any, anything but black and white. And he visited there and was very green. And he said, no, I can't see that because of the way the story is. It's very stark. So I got a chance to talk to Barry Levinson, the director, and Ben Foster, who plays the survivor. And they had worked together 20 years earlier, but they had been looking for something to do and never really found anything. And this turned out to be the piece that they said, yep, this is it. We're going to do this. I can't imagine doing it with anybody else. Fantastic. The trailer looks amazing for that. So yeah, so here is uh, Bruce's conversation with the Survivor folks. Hey, Barry and Ben, what took you so long to get back together? It was like 20 years since you last worked together? Well, we were trying to find the script. Yes. <laughs> the, uh, the reality is, uh, we were talking about this earlier. I'm not sure why we didn't. Uh, I know there was one I believe there was one project, but it never came together. But um, it certainly was, uh, the short answer is it's been way too long. Way too long. So what made you think he was right for the role now then? Well, not, I, I, th I mean, he seemed the perfect choice, you know, because in other words, he's, he's you know, when I used him in, in Liberty Heights, uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, uh, you, you know, he was doing comedy, then he moved into other things and did some great, great work. And then this popped up in my head and I thought, gee, you know, that this, he's got the ability to, and the range 
that I think Harry Haft and I think the commitment to a, a, a difficult character to play. I mean, physically, uh, what happens in the camps, learning to box, uh, to be a, an awkward boxer that is trying to become more of a professional box, boxer, the emotional range of the whole piece. Um, it was very clear in my mind that uh, Ben Foster could do this role. Well, Ben, how good did you get at boxing? Were you good at that? Is that something that, you know, just kind of came naturally or did you not need to really be that good? Well, Harry wasn't a particularly great boxer, but he, he certainly was tough as hell. Inconceivable what he endured. Uh, uh, it was, I mean, I, I enjoyed learning the sweet science. Uh, my father boxes, his father boxed. So it, it's something that I took pleasure in, but I, I by no means claim that, that, uh, that uh, he was a top, top athlete. He, he, he's a survivor sure. and his story and his story got him uh, fights. Well, when you decided to take the role, then did you say, I have to lose the weight? That's a given for me? Or how did that all come about? Yeah, when you read the scripts and talk to Barry and we're terribly excited that he called me uh, and read it that day, uh, um, you have to get down to how you're gonna do the thing. And, and uh, I, I needed to drop the weight for myself. Uh, I needed to, see how far I could go and still be able to fight as I intuited not only it has to look credible it, it, when you see photographs of the concentration camp when you see the footage dropping 10 pounds or 15 pounds would be I couldn't face myself and so much of it is perhaps self-deception what we do you know, the trade of an actor. So at least for myself is, is getting to a point where I'm not thinking about it and I'm not self-conscious in any way. I'm just the way that I imagine a musician would feel music. How, how difficult though, could it, was it to just actually box when you were that thin? Was it? Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, it's always tricky to talk about these things because it's make-believe, you know, we're professional make-believers. Uh, uh, we just never gave up the uh, the imaginary game in the backyard that we play as kids. It's just on a much higher level. Um, um, you can imagine it, it <laughs> when you're fighting at, at deficit, it, you have less resources. You gas out quicker. Uh, there, there are days that are blocked, blacked out. I don't remember. Uh, and that's just because you're starving the body, you're starving the brain. Again, this is a choice. This was a choice that I made that would that I intuited would help serve the rest of Harry's story and my own performance, be able to uh, uh, not think about it. Just being in that ring though, in that setting, how, how grueling and how mentally draining was that? It was horrifying, Bruce, it was horrifying. Well, the, the set that Kreka designed uh, and the way that Barry likes to shoot, which, uh, which is do your homework and, and be ready to, to improvise or play with new, new colors. Walking onto that set when, when you have men 
in SS officers shouting at you and hungry caged human beings surround, uh, it's very easy to, to fall into that nightmare. Yeah, it's, it, it's grueling to watch. It's grueling to watch. The, you know, the one thing, Barry, that you did that I, I found very interesting was how you changed the look at each different time period. When did that strike you? That you would have, you know, this kind of black and white era, you would have the, the washed out color era. When did all that come into play? Oh, uh, that came in very early and uh, to separate it. So because, you know, you are doing, you are sliding back and forth in time um, constantly. So in, in a sense, you know, for the audience, you know, the, it's like they, they begin to understand one from the other, as opposed to if they all be the same and you might get, you know, somewhat confused. Um, I, when we went to Auschwitz, and we were walking around and the grass was green and some things had certain, you know, vivid in terms of color, but the green of the grass and the trees uh, completely threw me. And I realized, and well, I was thinking black and white when I saw it, it's like, I can't, I can't relate to it in color. And I, I, I kept thinking and talking to um, the cinematographer, how in the world we gonna, could we do it? We can't really do it. And, and uh, so that's how we went, you know, in black and white. Um, you know, Schindler obviously, uh, Schindler's obviously did black and white, but the entire film stayed in that particular time frame. Here, it wouldn't have made sense to be going through all of this in terms of that. So, and, be, and because that the boxing, the camps are basically remembrances that Harry has. That's what's haunting him, the past, sure. it's haunting him. And so the idea that it's in another color, it's easier in terms of, you know, cutting back, cutting, you know, doing that kind of thing. So it, 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 it came together rather early. Did you shoot chronologically then? So then everything would be? We did shoot, yes, we did actually. We shot all the camp stuff. We shut down uh, <clears throat> for a period of time when <clears throat> uh, Ben could start eating and uh, which was the, the middle section. And then I think we did all that before we went to the, the end, which is in uh, Tabby Island, uh, Georgia. So um, we, did do, we did do the chronological in terms of time periods. And Ben, how difficult was it having those prosthetic things on your face in the older years? Was that a difficult thing to, to act around or to deal with? What prosthetics? Oh, come on now, you know better. I, I, I enjoyed my pasta immensely. <laughs> um, uh, well, the, the designer uh, is one of our great makeup artists and, and I've worked with him for, for years, uh, Jamie Kelman. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, I don't really think about it. Yeah. It just sure. helps me feel, it's like, uh, it's like when you're getting ready for bed, it, 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 it's like putting on your pajamas. It's if you put on a tuxedo, that would be very um, confusing. Yeah. I was I wasn't confused. It just felt like I was slipping into him. Did you have a film of him? Did you have any kind of footage that you could look at to kind of get a sense of him? Yes, we, we, the show of foundation uh, was provided uh, a lot of insight and 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 their library of testimonies. So there there is a Harry's testimony. 
but upon watching it, I didn't want to do an impression of Harry. Uh, I, I, I was looking more for an essence and finding the man in myself. Uh, we did a lot of work with a Yiddish expert to make sure that the dialect was specific to the area at Belchatov, Poland. Uh, we got down to the neighborhood so that Yiddish uh, would feel lived in. So we took his accent, but it wasn't so much, um, just want to avoid impersonating anything. Watching those films and what, what impressed you most about him? What, did, what kind of resonated when you said that, I've got to capture that? Oh gosh. When one thinks about survivors of the camps, we think about the wounded and the weak and the grief. What I was so shook by was the brute confidence that comes with surviving. Yeah. And understanding that his story or the story that we're telling is also deeply romantic. Harry's a romantic. It might not be the first word that we think about him, but it's all for, the, for his love back home. And that, that, that hope for love, to see love again, is the thing that got him through. That yeah. was shocking to find. It, re it resonates, I think. I really do. Nice. Thank you both for doing this, too. And tell Billy Magnuson he did a great job. Um, that's a difficult role. And to work with you, Ben, under those circumstances, I, you know, wow. So thank you both. I'm waiting to see that this is received as well as it should be, because uh, we need films like this now. We really do. It, Bruce. Thank you. Jared? Yes. We can let you take us out. Absolutely. Are you sure it's a real Jared and it's not the Velisca shadow of his former self? <laughs> uh, we'll see in the uh, the coming weeks. If I, my takes all of a sudden start changing on things, uh, like movies I once liked, I now uh, denounce, then maybe, maybe something has gone awry. But um, with as much good stuff as there is out right now with uh, the Northmen and um, everything everywhere all at once is still out in theaters, and I got to see that too. And it was uh, just a wonderful movie and one of my favorites I've seen so far this year. And uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Um, go and see something good at the theaters or uh, stream something good at home. You've got a lot of great options right now. So there's uh, no excuse to just keep rewatching the same old stuff. See something good. Thank you, uh, two gentlemen, for being on the show. And thanks to everyone who listened. We will be back next week. Who, who you got an interview for next week? Find up. Bruce, week, we're going to look at it, and we're talking with an animator from um, Encanto. Uh, she's featured in a new series on Disney Plus called Sketchbook, and she talks about, you know, what it's like. Her dream job. She wanted to be a Disney. Here's what she did. Does she talk about Bruno? Oh, I cannot tell you about that. Can I tell <laughs> you? Because I asked that whole. It's a point. You want to listen to that just to be able to get that. We will let everybody who's interested in that wait with bated breath one week. And if they want to hear it, they should totally subscribe to the show wherever they get podcasts, streamed and screens. You can find us on uh, all the places. We'll have links in the show notes to movies that we talked about. And uh, we'll be back next week with all that good stuff. Thank you guys so much. See something good. Amen. At a time when the world was falling apart, we turned to the movies.